Hello, this is Yaros Darek and welcome to an Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. Today on the line with me is Michael Fountain. Now, Michael came to my attention recently because he was a person who claimed a bonus after purchasing through one of my affiliate links for uh, a product that I sold earlier in the year. And the bonus included um, some a half an hour uh, consulting interview, well, a chat on the phone, basically. And um, during that call, Michael mentioned one of his previous businesses, which immediately um, sparked my interest because I was uh, aware of that business. And um, Michael had a great story to tell, but I'm not going to uh, spoil the surprise. So, Michael, thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me, Yarl. I appreciate it. So just so we can set the the conditions before you tell your story what what is the business that you started and maybe in like one minute you know um, <laughs> what does it do and or what did it do when you were in charge the the 30 second elevator pitch right yeah um the, the business that uh yara was referring to is modern bill um that spawn out of a uh a college extracurricular activity and um we grew up for several years so that's that's what we'll get into. Okay, and and at the end of the day, uh, or you know, you were obviously living off this business, right? So we're about to hear, I oh, guess, yes. a, a software startup, and and there was a nice cash out sale at the end of it all, too. Yes, sir. Okay, yes, sir. So we're about to hear a story of how you can do a startup software company and go from start to selling. So let's go from the beginning, Michael. Uh, you well, born and raised. Where where are you from? <laughs> I was uh, I was born in Biloxi, Mississippi, so I'm a Southern boy. Um, my father was in the Air Force, so what that meant for me is I I moved every four years, so I didn't stay in the South too long. Um, we were mostly stateside. Um, lived in Seattle, Washington, Las Vegas, Nevada, Alamogordo, New Mexico, and a few other nifty places in between. Um, being the oldest of five boys, um, didn't really. And being on a military income uh, was was pretty big stretch. So uh, we learned to do with very little growing up, and uh, um, learned to play outside a whole heck of a lot. Uh, of course, there were no, really was no internet back then, um, and video games were there, but they were really expensive, and uh, and we didn't have those types of things. So, um, uh, growing up, uh, moving every four years was a great opportunity to kind of reinvent yourself. Uh, so I. I I think that is probably one of the uh, the best things of my childhood. You know, I didn't get a lot of long-term friends um, like most folks do um, growing up in one place or very few places. Um, so my relationships ended up being fairly short, but I had a lot of good ones uh, that I remember. Um, kind of fast forward a little bit, ended up in Memphis, Tennessee during my high school years and uh, in Memphis is a crazy place to live today. Um, I'd like to visit it, but I, I don't think I'd like to live there today. But uh, growing up in high school, it was pretty nice. Um, I met my high school uh, sweetheart back then, who I, I later married and, uh, and uh, am still married to, very happily, I, I must say. Um, and uh, was in the music program there. Did, did music growing up and uh, played the saxophone and really didn't know what I wanted to do uh, with my life um, outside of, uh, of uh, dating and, and uh, playing the saxophone and, and going to school and being the oldest of five brothers. Things were always tight. Everything was, uh, you know, you just made do with what you had. Um, when I graduated 
high school. This was back in 92. Um, I ended up getting a, uh, a full-year scholarship for music uh, for Tennessee Tech University in, in Cookville, Tennessee, if anybody knows where that is. Um, great engineering school, by the way, um, but had a phenomenal music program as well, and I did that for a year. Um, and in doing that for a year, I really realized that that wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Um, I loved music and all, but uh, uh, going the music director route was uh, a hard path, a really hard path. I have uh, a great respect for those that have chosen that path because it's it's not an easy one. Um, at that time, I, I guess this was around 92, 93, uh, my wife was graduating, although she was my girlfriend at the time. Um, we decided we're trying to figure out what the heck we wanted to do with the rest of our lives, and we ended up in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Uh, at the University of Southern Mississippi. So back down south again, uh, down to my roots. Um, had some good times there. I was uh, actually going into accounting. I was always fairly good at math, fairly good at my studies. I wasn't necessarily a straight-A kid, but uh, uh, math and sciences it seemed to come pretty naturally to me. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll do math. What's math? Okay, I'll be an accountant. And um, uh, that was an interesting first couple of years. And um, to pay myself through college, I ended up waiting tables. And so that was kind of a turning point for me because um, being a waiter, being in the food service industry, uh, really kind of opens your eyes to uh, just the dynamics of people <laughs> and uh, people management skills um, uh, kind of really blossomed there for me. Um, let's see, going from there, I realized that uh, accounting was not what I wanted to do. I ended up uh, getting really close with a, a guy that opened restaurants and got into restaurant management. And boy, that's a that's another lifetime from here. But uh, I did restaurant management for a couple of years, and uh, that got us to uh, Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina, where I was uh, manager of a restaurant in Raleigh. And uh, this is where my, my computer exposure had come in, because up until then, I never you know, really touched a computer. We never could afford a computer growing up. Um, I really had no interest in computers that I knew of. Uh, but in the restaurant industry, we had to keep we had to keep up with our daily stats and our daily sales and, and all that on a computer. So I, I got used to using Excel, and this was back when Windows 95 was just coming out. And so we had Excel, and we had the spreadsheets of daily sales and, and so on. Um, but the bigger part of that was uh, every Wednesday, this guy would come in from RTP, which is Research Triangle Park in, in Raleigh-Durham, and he was a computer guy. And we, I, over the course of a year, I got to know him pretty well because he came in every, you know, every Wednesday. He was in for lunch. It was kind of his regular routine. He was a single guy. He was a computer guy. And uh, we got to talking, and uh, I was really interested in what he was doing. I was like, wow, this is, this is something I could really get into. And I never owned a computer, so I went out and, and uh, I couldn't afford one at the time. You know, uh, restaurant managers don't make much money anyway. <laughs> so um, uh, I ended up splitting a, a the cost of a computer with my brother-in-law. Uh, I was married by then, and and I had a great brother-in-law, and we went 50-50 on a computer, and and uh, that was a oh geez, it was a compact Presario, I believe. Got it from. I can't remember where we ended up getting it from, but uh, internet back then was AOL, um, $4 an hour, some crazy mess like that, and Mist and Quake were the games to play. Um, so I had a good time, you know, kind of breaking windows every opportunity I could get and, and kind of figuring out how to fix it 
and uh, uh, so that uh, that started my my love of computers. But still, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I just knew it had to be in computers. Um, and how old were you then, Michael? This was '95, so you know, 15 years ago. I'm 36, 37 now. So it was, uh, yeah, I, I was still young. I was still in my 20s, um, you know, and uh, I really just didn't know. You know, I tried a few things, been waiting tables, did restaurant management for a while, dialing and music for a while, and just knew it was computers, but I still didn't know what that meant. You know, I just know that's what I liked, and that's kind of where my passion was, and so I just followed my passion. Um and that got me back to the University of Southern Mississippi for the second time, which I thought I would never go back to Hattiesburg, Mississippi, but I ended up back there. And uh, I, luckily, the, uh, the business program structured, I was going to go for an MS degree. And, and two years prior, uh, all my accounting stuff and my core courses were going to stick with me. So really, all I had to finish up was about two and a half years of school. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. It's kind of like I took a break and came back, and now I kind of knew what I want. I was an uh, um graduate class, not graduate classes, but um, uh, I knew uh, the courses I needed to take to get it done. And and so ended up back in Mississippi, ended up back at USM, was still waiting tables because that's how I was paying my way through school. And uh, But this time I was going to finish. I was, I was dead set. So that's about 98, I believe. Um, internet was starting to pick up a little bit and I knew I kind of, I liked it, but I didn't really know what it was. And, uh, an MIS degree, they don't teach you programming. Uh, I think that we had like a COBOL class, you know, uh, and that was probably the extent of the programming we had, but I met this guy there. Uh, his name was Jeremy Christ and, uh, little did I know at the time he would become my uh, future business partner and, uh, my best friend, you know, I, I know him. He lives two streets over from me today, and uh, we've been best friends since college. And uh, you know, we grew Modern Build together. Um, so that was uh, something that I definitely didn't expect, um, and it didn't really uh, materialize like that for some time. Uh, so, but uh, you know, going back, looking at it, talking about it now, it was, it was kind of a neat turning point as well. Okay, so yeah. W- I mean, we're missing a few things here. Um, yeah, I understand. <laughs> so let's take the next step. Obviously, this is a software product. I mean, maybe you should explain first of all what Modern Bill actually is or was when you first went to create it, and, and how did you create it? No, absolutely. So, so really, the Modern Bill product uh, is a billing application, and it is um, its, its sole purpose was to um, invoice and bill customers um, that were on a recurring cycle, and we were focusing on the um, web hosting and ISP industry. And what got us there was really the uh, the, the story that I just kind of finished up with, uh, because in college we had we were trying to figure out what we were doing, and we um, knew restaurants, and we were trying to get restaurants to get websites, and we were trying to get these uh, basically put menus online back in 99 and and uh, it was a really hard sell back then because most of the restaurant owners didn't really say well who's going to go online to look at my menu and little did they know and uh but we weren't that successful then i mean we had you know 30 or 40 restaurants signed up and we were billing them manually and i say we but really jeremy was billing them manually he managed the, the business development part of uh of our company and uh, every month he would bill them manually 
and we were using authorize.net at the time and it was basically you log into authorize.net go to their virtual terminal and and enter the credit card information once a month um and so monorbill wasn't necessarily born there but that was kind of the seed that really grew to create kind of what our problem was that we had to solve which became monorbill um Okay, in so 2000, just to clarify yeah. that, you were running software that, or a service then that had allowed restaurants to put their menus online. Right. And, and this, were, as a result of that, you had to build them monthly. And this is what sort of germinated the idea for Modern Build because you were not enjoying the manual process. That's right. That's right. I mean, it was uh, it was a very manual and laborious process. And, and it was one that Jeremy did uh, for us uh, for, for quite some time. Um, for the next year or two, we kind of split up and, and he moved to Louisville. Uh, Kentucky and, and started working up here. I moved to Seattle and, and went to work for Amazon. And I, we were, you know, we kept in touch and we still had these customers, but we were realizing that we were getting, you know, further and further behind billing these um, early customers of ours. And, and for a while, we were actually paying for them to be online. And uh, we were like, there's got to be a better way. Um, so we did a little research online to see if there was some kind of billing system we could put in place. And QuickBooks was around then. But it was, you know, far from what it is today, um, and nowhere near a web application. And I was like, you know, I could probably script something up for us. Give me a little bit of time, and and that really is what became Modern Build version one. It was just the ability for us to batch these clients once a month. Um, and uh, once once we realized that we could just click a button and you know build these folks once a month, uh, then we started thinking about well, what else could it do? And that's kind of what got us in trouble. <laughs> it's the what else can it do? What else can it? Do? <laughs> that's a good and, question uh, it, for a software developer to ask. She can do that forever. Uh, and yes, yes. I'm curious as well. I'm assuming it's just you two, as the only people in this company at this stage, and you're the only software developer, right? So anything you have to add to software, and even the the, the very first piece of software for the restaurants, that was all your work, right? Right, right. And the, you learned uh, this skill from the university because of the, the programming courses you went through? Uh, absolutely not, and it's unfortunate, but uh, everything that we learned back at USM uh, was, it was all self-taught, and it was, it was going along our passion. You know, I think PHP at the time was um, version two, um, getting ready to go to version three, and MySQL was still version three, and, and our first iteration, we didn't even use MySQL, we used flat files to store all the data, so. It was, uh, I think, gosh, what was it, DB Man or something on uh, something along those lines. But um, MySQL didn't come along for us uh, for another couple of years, um, and and not really until we got into the billing aspect of Modern Bill and the batching aspect of it. And uh, so it was it was a self-taught pretty much all the way. Um, uh, no real schooling uh, to speak of, other outside of obviously MIS and the business degree that gave us a good foundation for business, uh, and then we just applied the technology that we knew to kind of get the job done. Mm. Which leads me to my next question. Then, uh, how did you get customers? Like, you, um, you know, you made this software for yourself. When did you realize that this could be something commercially viable for other people? Um, good question. Uh, I would say probably around 2001, 2002, when I started doing some online research to see uh, what was out there, um, I just made some connections in the, the web hosting space and and was just trying to see what people were using. And, and everybody was doing everything manually. 
um, back in the early you know 2000s, if you wanted to be a web hosting company, uh, you you were really a server admin or a system administrator, and so you did everything manually. You created the account manually. Um, you probably used QuickBooks or something like that to do billing, but nobody had an online billing system. And so when we started talking about it, that's what gained the interest. And uh, it just uh, we literally just through I, I think the first advertising we really did was hot scripts was was coming out and there was no billing category. So we said, Hey, can we can we get a billing category on hot scripts and <laughs> and put our, our product in there? And we had a simple website at the time. Oh my gosh, it was so simple. And uh, and that's kind of what opened the floodgates for us. And and it was a trickle, don't get me wrong, it wasn't a flood yet. It was still just a trickle, but it was enough to encourage us to keep going forward. I, I, you triggered a memory of my own here. You know, around the early 2000s, I was doing a bit of hosting as a reseller myself for, you know, friends of family businesses and you know the odd mm-hmm. client here and there. And I know I remember I spent a lot of time at the web hosting talk forums. <laughs> yes. And I presume, I mean, that's probably where I first saw the name Modern Bill when I started looking up billing solutions. There would have been Modern Bill, and what was that other one? There was um, Pearl Desk. I think, well, that, yes, was, that, was, that was a help desk, wasn't it? Not a, not a billing system, but anyway. Bill, too. Could it? Okay, because anyway, it's a long time ago now. It's almost 10 years. Yeah. It's quite scary. Um, and, and Hot Scripts, and I remember the PHP Resource Index was something I went to a lot, too. So right. Basically, you tapped into the online web hosting community and uh, stuck it up there. And, I'm, and I'm, in terms of marketing, you know, was, what, how did you get more customers? Was it all just word of mouth? Did you spend a lot of time in the web hosting talk forums? Were you attending events? What did you do? Um, there were no events. I think I think the first web hosting conference event was probably several years later. But uh, initially, it was um, you know we stuck ourselves in in hot scripts. Uh, we were active on web hosting talk, um, but really we put our own forum online, and uh, it was it was the communication between uh, us and the and the customers in our own forums that really kind of grew what billing could be. And um, uh, a lot of the features and functionality of Monterbill grew from just suggestions out of that forum. Um, I think by the time I handed reins over in that forum, I had probably answered four to five thousand posts um, uh, in in maybe the course of a year or two. Um, I would spend probably a couple hours every day just on the forum. Right. So I remember just. Just opening up browser after browser after browser. I'd shift click until the whole screen was full of browsers, and I'd just run down them and, and answer them and, and start the process over again. That's a great job. Yeah. Where were these customers <laughs> coming from, though, Michael? Like, how did you get so much attention and, and, and buyers? Um, we 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 kind of feel like we were the only web hosting solution at or the only web based solution at the time that was available. Uh, we really feel that we were kind of first to market at the price point, which was fairly low. I think, I think our initial license was forty-nine dollars or, or something along those lines. And um, uh, getting that price point that low and and just being first, you know, everybody tried us, and so we had uh, a lot of the eyes were on us. Uh, reseller web hosting, as you know, was really big uh, in the early two thousands. Everybody wanted to be a, a web hosting reseller. Uh, and their biggest struggles uh, were how do I how do I sign up customers? How do I provision their accounts? And then how do I 
them every month. But what happens if they upgrade and, and what happens if they downgrade and what happens if their credit card expires? And, and the, so there's so many business rules wrapped around just the billing cycle, uh, you know, the life cycle of a customer. And we addressed all of those issues inside of Modern Bill, not, not from day one, obviously, and, and those, those features grew over time, but it was really just a complete understanding of that life cycle of the customer. And we just tried to match um, our own software to, to solve those problems. And what we didn't know we would partner with and, and what we did, we would build. Okay, so it sounds like we've hit the, the startup phase of a company that right place, right time, carving space in a new market, which is fantastic. Uh, how did you manage to hold on to the leadership, leadership position and obviously grow your company? Um, I would say we, we got a really good running momentum at the beginning. And um, uh, we grew our customer base. I think we were growing 100% every month, month over month over month. And so we had a, a lot of growth and a lot of strength, and we were um, we we only hired when we had enough revenue to support an extra person. Actually, I should ask you when did you quit your jobs too? You were working at Amazon, <laughs> weren't you? <laughs> I was. I was working at Amazon uh, from 2000 to uh, probably mid 2001. So I was there for a year and a half, almost two years, uh, when I left. And uh, Jeremy stayed at his job in Louisville for a little longer than that. I took the leap of faith first. And, and um, uh, once, once that kind of stabilized, Jeremy took the leap of faith. What did the wife say? <laughs> that, that's the big story right there. Um, uh, we were all very young and we were all very, um, we could afford to take some risks. And I'll tell you, my first leap of faith wasn't, from from Seattle to Louisville, I actually moved close to my family uh, in Florida. Uh, they were living in Florida at the time, and I was like, "Hey, you know, my daughter's two years old. We've been in Seattle for the past two years, and so let's let's move back, you know, close to my family and and let them see their granddaughter. And and uh, you know, if if worse comes to worse, we got somebody to lean on. Uh, and so that's how I handled it. Uh, and for Jeremy, he was here in Louisville. He had a bunch of family here already, so he had some good family support uh, and a good support network up here as well. Um, and it wasn't until we started hiring people that I was like, hey, you know, I actually need to get up there to the office. So we've got two employees and, and uh, you know, I need to be in the office now. So that's when we decided to move from Florida to, um, to Louisville. And I, I guess that move was done around 2003 or 2004. I'm assuming by now you're drawing a salary, both of you, from the company as well, right? Yeah, it was a very modest salary at the time. Um, and it, it was, you know, the, the revenue from the company was enough to, to pay our bills and to pay our server costs, uh, which were relatively low. Anyway, we had distributed software at the time. So, you know, we weren't software as a service. Everything was, you buy our software, you download it, you, you run it on your server. And so really, we didn't have a lot of uh, huge overhead in that respect. Um, we were part of an incubator program here in Louisville. So we had very, very low um, uh, cost for our uh, office space and, and utilities and such. And uh, so we kept costs pretty low. Um, and like I said, as, as revenue increased, basically meaning we got more licenses uh, every month, uh, we would shed a hat and uh, we'd find somebody to fill that hat. 
Um, and, uh, you know, first was another marketing person and support then developers. And it just kind of, we, we just grew the team, you know, very organically that way. All right. So, uh, I actually find it quite amazing that a lot of this was simply because of license fees and not some sort of, you know, rebilling process where you, you know, have to pay <laughs> once a month or something like that, considering it's a, it's a, it's a billing product too, you know, it's kind of ironic. Um, You're absolutely right. That was, uh, you know, going back and looking at some of the things you say, Oh, if I could have changed this, what would it have been? Um, you know, our first licenses, our license structure was what we called owned licenses were basically perpetual licenses. And, uh, we, we had, uh, in the beginning, it was, you know, buy one license and it's upgrade for life. And, um, of course, we didn't really know any better back then. Uh, that seemed to work for us, and, and that brought the people in. And it wasn't for a few years later that we realized that we really needed a recurring model. And so we used Modern Bill to bill for Modern Bill, I mean, at the end of the day. Um, we, we, had a, we had a very stripped-down version of Modern Bill, um, uh, and that's what we used to bill our customers. All right, so let's let's take this forward. Then um, company's growing. You're bringing on new people. Um, how big did you get? Um, I think, if if memory serves me correctly, in 2006, uh, we had 24 employees. Um, four of those employees were outsourced. Um, I believe those were outsourced uh, India to do technical support. Uh, we had a support manager in-house that would manage that team. And everybody else was in-house in our Louisville office. So 24, give or take. So to cover 24 salaries, uh, or almost 24 salaries, you know, what's your business model at that point? Did it change significantly? Or are you just selling that many units, that many licenses <laughs> that you're, you know? We definitely diversified. Um, the... The modern build product for us, be, you know, it was our entry into everything that a web hosting customer needed. And uh, we really understood kind of the life cycle of a web hosting customer. And and we, we kind of saw it as a two-tier. You know, we had our customers, which were web hosting companies. And then we had their customers, which were basically the web hosting end users. And it was really understanding the life cycle of that end user that helped us better prepare the web hosting company uh, with the tools they needed to help service their customers. And so we did partnerships with uh, certificates and we created a product that um, basically automated the buying and selling of, uh, of SSL certificates. And we incorporated, incorporated that into Modern Bill. So that was making purchases via a secure server, which is something that became more important with, with credit card billing, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, uh, SSL starts in the beginning. You know, they were they were really expensive in the beginning, and, and the prices really came down. and And we we created a partnership uh, with uh, I believe Register.com at the time, and and uh, we used GeoTrust certificates uh, through that partnership because we weren't a big enough customer to actually be a, a GeoTrust uh, reseller. So we had to go through a partner. Um, which brings me to a good point. Our our biggest partner, I guess, earliest partner that we had was actually Enom. And um, the Enom relationship for us was was something we didn't realize how big it would become um, because every end user needed domain names. And uh, we were trying to, to get our customers to use a domain registrar that we integrated with and obviously had a, a reseller relationship with. 
And so once we started to generate revenue through Enum, we realized, wow, you know, the power of the reseller channel. And so that's when we started to diversify Modern Bill from, you know, from a revenue stream standpoint, having Modern Bill's revenue and, and all the revenue of our ancillary services. You know, merchants account, merchant accounts came on board. You know, obviously I said domains and certs, and uh, we had a fraud program because we wanted to keep our customers in business. And, um, you know, so all these things bundled into one uh, was what paid the bills for us. So it's almost like you had a software product that was getting you the customer in the door and then you could just basically be an affiliate for everything a a hosting company would need to sell domain names uh, merchant accounts uh, certificates for security Uh, is that a good summary no that's a great summary it was um realizing what we were were strong at and you know if there was a partnership that made sense we would pursue that partnership and if nothing existed we would you know we'd attempt to build it ourselves Okay, so most of your staff then would have been what software development, um, tech support, what else, marketing or? Yeah, we had um, the software development team was uh, at at its height was like six developers. Um, we averaged about uh, three to four developers. Um, technical support was four to five folks, and we had sales and marketing. And, and luckily, our our the the third person we actually hired on the team, uh, Mr. John McCarrick, he was a, a lawyer uh, initially, and we contacted him for legal help. I, I should say Jeremy actually contacted him for legal help uh, to help us get some of our trademarks and, and copyrights in place. And um, he was extremely passionate uh, in our cause, and and we were racking up some legal bills in the beginning. So you know, it just made sense to kind of hire him on retainer. And that slowly merged into hiring him full time, and uh, then he became our, our primary uh, sales and marketing guy. Uh, so it was an interesting, it was a nice asset to have when you have someone that has multiple um, uh, multiple tools in their chest per se. Yeah, right, and that, that leads me to a question: um, You start off as the programmer, and, and you know, Jeremy is maybe the, the the marketing manager or the manager in general. And then suddenly you're bringing on staff, and I really doubt that you two were doing the same roles. How did you manage the transition from essentially being, I guess, uh, you know, engineers within your business to to managers and then business owners? Yeah, the um, I, I think it's a nice um, transition, like you said. You know, uh, Jeremy and I have really worked well together. From a um, Jeremy. You know, was front of the house was kind of what I called it. And then I was back of the house and those are kind of restaurant terms, but, um, um, everything that was customer facing business development partnerships, um, uh, was really Jeremy's domain and, and everything on the back of the house, you know, the, the research, the development and the support was, was my domain. And so we divided and conquered and that's, that's kind of how we did it in the beginning. And then as we hired people, it was really just trying to figure out who had the, the biggest load on their shoulders uh, and, you know, finding someone to, to fit those shoes and, you know, pull that hat off and put it on theirs. And we kind of did that, you know, every other for some time, you know, Jeremy got someone to help him with accounts and I got someone to help me with development. Then we got someone on support. Then we got someone on marketing. We just went back and forth to grow the team. Um, And every person we grew allowed us to do even more on our own. And up until, you know, I still did development probably up until around 2006 and, 
and then we had a really strong development team by then and they were taking over the development duties and we we're trying to forge other partnerships and relationships so i was helping more more on that side more on the research side right. um and, and, and jeremy as well finding good people is one of the hardest things though. you know how, how challenging was that for you did you have to fire a lot of people I, I would say we got, um, we like to say that we were lucky and, and found some really good people early on. Um, I think our core team, which was there from the beginning, was a really strong team for us. Um, so those first few people that we hired, um, they had the same passion that we had. And that passion carried them all the way through uh, to the exit. Um, the people that we brought on after the core team, uh, um, you know, their passion was probably more in a paycheck. And, and uh, uh, while we had some good folks in there, you know, we had some folks in there that turned over a little bit. But, um, you know, we, you know, from a hiring standpoint, John McCarrick actually uh, did a good job at, at going out and, and recruiting sales and um, figuring out how we can go out into our Louisville uh, area and try and get people. We had some interns from the University of Louisville. Um, we had, a, we hired a few people from out of state, you know, we hired somebody from Washington to come work for us. We hired somebody from Atlanta to come work for us. And, uh, Louisville was an attractive city, low cost of living and, and a great bang for your buck here. And so that was a good incentive. Uh, um, but, uh, I had from my restaurant days and I had hired and fired lots of folks. So I had a lot of experience in, <laughs> and, uh, the the HR side of of employment. So doing that, you know, for developers wasn't that difficult on my side, I should say. Um, I, I had already had my fair share. So you're ready, kind of like ruthless. You had no problems with that job. Huh? <laughs> um, I, I don't know if I was ruthless, but you don't uh, sound yeah, ruthless. I didn't know. <laughs> now, I was probably too nice in, in a lot of cases. Just, so, but, um, you know, it was all about Go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, going forward now, when did the possibility of selling the business come up? We we carried the business on for a long time as as what you know was classified as a lifestyle business. Um, it was it was good to run our lifestyles. It was everybody was was making a decent living that was working for us, and you know we had healthcare and we had a four hundred one k and and uh, we had some some good growth opportunities. People were making um, a great connections in the, in that industry with, with big players. And um, around 2006 and, and early 2007, we started to try and shift gears from going from a, uh, a lifestyle company to a company that's looking to exit. And a lot of that had to do with the market was just changing. The market was, was really not necessarily going in a different direction. It was just changing. Uh, there was a lot of uh, different opportunity out there for folks from a billing standpoint and a, a lot of uh, um, just the ability to um, automate, you know, your business, your web hosting business almost became second nature. And it was interesting to see the customers were extremely technical in the beginning. And, and I would say probably not so technical technical towards the end just because the the automation was there to kind of help them along the way so you had more and more people joining um and uh it you know honestly it became harder and harder and harder to run the business um and so when we were looking at it going, okay well you know where can we take this and what can we do and we had a lot of opportunities there to keep driving it forward
Um, but the opportunity came to exit in 2007 and, and Jeremy and I, you know, took a long stroll one day and we're like, yep, you know, this is the path we're going to take. And that's what we pursued. Tell us how you pursued it. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, um, parallels was the company that acquired, uh, modern gigabyte, which was the, our company name at the time. And um, Parallels was a partner of ours for quite some time. Um, they were one of the first control panels that we integrated with. Um, and Parallels was on an acquisition spree at the time. Uh, and uh, again, I think for us, it was a, another right time, right place. We were ready um, from a business standpoint, from a business owner standpoint to kind of hand over the reins and and they were looking for um, something that would integrate into their suite of tools that would um, uh, benefit their customer base as well. So it was it was a really good marriage for us and um, very interesting times going through acquisition, tons and tons and tons of due diligence. Um, looking back at, uh, you know, you, you almost have to scrutinize every transaction that you've ever made. And so you go back and you, you know, I'm thankful that Jeremy had the best uh, um, uh, transaction logging capabilities. Uh, uh, he did a really good at keeping our books straight, keeping them in order and, and dotting all the I's and, and crossing all the T's for us. Uh, had I been in charge of that, <laughs> it would have been a totally different story. But uh, Jeremy did a great job at, at making sure that um, everything we did was well documented. So when it came time to due diligence, um, it could have been a lot harder than it was. Uh, but even that took uh, six, eight months, give or take. And uh, I don't know if the dates are actually correct, but it seems like a really, really long time. Okay. Just um, to clarify, I'm, for me, people don't know what parallels are. You know, what, what were they doing and what's the synergy with what? Because you had a, a billing platform and I guess a bunch of services related to web hosting. What did parallels right. do and why did they see you as an obvious smart purchase? Well, Parallels, um, Parallels started out as SWSoft, and SWSoft was a control panel. And uh, Parallels was a, a, a control panel most commonly what? known today. A control panel for web servers. Okay, so, so like a you C panel like, like we have nowadays. Yep. Right. Yeah, the, the big four, I believe, at the time were, were Ensom, Plesk, which is SWSoft, which is Parallels. So Plesk... Um, um, Plesk is the control panel. SWSoft was the company rebranded as Parallels. Right. So I that, actually that, used Plesk. Those. <laughs> that was my, so was that was my one of choice. Exactly. And uh, there was Insom, there was cPanel, and there were a handful of others uh, that we integrated with. So we provisioned, our, our software, MonorBill, actually provisioned to all of the control panels. And um, we didn't have any... Um, uh, strong alliance to any of the control panels. We wanted to be as uh, kind of agnostic as possible. So we were so okay, well, we'll provision to anyone. It doesn't matter. You can use modern build to provision to any number of control panels. And so the, that I think was a big asset to Parallel's roll-up strategy because they were acquiring in some at the time and, and they acquired several other control panels. And the fact that modern build could actually provision to those, I think was a big asset uh, to them. Um, and, uh, you know, in, I can't speak for parallels in terms of what their, you know, their overall strategy was, but, you know, aligning modern bill and all of the ancillary products that we sold, 
and rolling those up under the Parallels brand um, was definitely a win for them and obviously a win for us. So I'm curious, you know, as a business owner, uh, you must have been excited. Like, how did this happen? Did a person from Parallels call up and just say, hi, we're interested in buying you? And then it went from there? Or how does this happen? Uh, I, I think it started with, with basically uh, an email and um, uh, seeing if we were open to acquisition discussions. And it, it kind of went on from there. I think the biggest uh, the biggest reality check for us was was going to one of their events and actually sitting down with uh, uh, Sergey, their their CEO at the time, and and a few of the other um, um, board of, not necessarily board of directors, but the, the top management there, and really just kind of sitting down and seeing what the synergies were and and seeing if it made sense to go forward. And you know, we we all came out of that meeting very positive, and uh, so then we signed all the necessary uh, documents to proceed. Uh, and then you start that journey uh, because it's not over until it's over, as they say. Hmm. Okay, interesting. And, and I'm, I know if you don't can't reveal these things, they don't say so. But I'm always curious what at the height of your business, like what sort of numbers were you turning over? Uh, well, we can't give exact numbers, obviously, because uh, we were acquired by Parallels. But you know, it was it was significant enough to pay for the 24 employees that we had. And um, uh, we were doing quite well as a as a lifestyle company. Okay, so when they came in and offered you a purchase, an acquisition, was this the sort of thing that was setting you guys up for life as owners, or you know, were you two the only um, shareholders of the company at that stage, or how did the breakdown happen? I, I think we would have all have loved to have been set up for life. <laughs> I think anybody that, that that contemplates being going through an exit. Um, uh, really wants to see huge multiples on on what you have uh, coming in, and and some of those are kind of unrealistic. And you know, our initial thoughts to acquisition is, oh, we want, you know, we want this many X and this many X. Just kind of didn't make sense. Um, what was what was the benefit of Parallels, you know, acquiring us at, at you know a, a huge markup basically? And you know. We weren't a Twitter, and we weren't a Facebook, and we weren't some of these other companies being snapped up. We were just a small software company, and uh, we had a growing client base, and we were pretty dominant in our marketplace. You know, but we weren't the only player in the marketplace, um, and so all of those factors came into play. Um, and you know, Parallels is a private company, so there's you know the potential for that. Um, you know, I'll, I'll let you uh, let your mind go there, and so. It was a very attractive offer for us, and it was something that we really couldn't pass up. And um, uh, really, it was, you know, every day was a learning experience. You know, it was, you know, working with their legal team. You know, we had lawyers on our side at the time, just going, you know, not necessarily back and forth with contract, but really just back and forth, making sure that we had all of our, uh, all of our data in check. You know, and uh, a lot of due diligence, and that was the majority of. That's what took up the majority of the time was just making sure that we had all the data that they requested. So for you, this exit, was it really an exit or did you stay on and, and work under the Parallels um, company from that point forward? It was an exit for Jeremy and I. Um, we, we hung up our hats that day and uh, we encouraged all of our employees to, to hang on to uh, the opportunity that Parallels was, was going to offer. Um, the unfortunate thing for them is, you know, Parallels wasn't based out of Louisville, Kentucky, and and while they kept the Louisville office open for about a year or so, 
um, those folks were going to have to make a decision on, on if they wanted to stay with Parallels. They were going to have to go where Parallels was located. And uh, that was in Herndon, Virginia, and they just recently moved to Seattle, Washington, which is kind of ironic because that's kind of where I wanted to end up again. And uh, several of our employees are now in Seattle, Washington. So uh, I'm a little envious in that respect. <laughs> All right. So that's that's the tale from, from start to finish. That is, yeah. And then just a curiosity, what did you what year was this when you when you hung up your hat, as you say? Um, this was in early 2008, I think, was when everything became public. And um, most of 2008, I just kind of took a breather and took a break and spent a lot of time with my family and and uh, just kind of took a took some nice time off. Um, was was 2008 for me and and then really kind of figuring out, you know, with the way the market kind of took a, sh a shift south, I was like, okay, well, let's let's get back to the ball again, and that's when I got into consulting. All right, so let's just wrap this interview up with I think a question um, a lot of people are interested sure. in hearing an answer to is. You know, if someone is out there listening to this story and, and they want to start a software company and they also have in mind some kind of exit, what would be the most important things to consider based on your experience? And considering the market today as well, which I'm assuming is a little different sure. from what it was back then. I, you know, being a developer, being an entrepreneur, the biggest asset that you have is, is really understanding the problem that you're trying to, trying to solve. Um, you don't want to go out and, and solve someone else's problem without really experiencing that problem yourself uh, because understanding the business side of, of it's kind of the why, why are you doing this? And once you really understand that, then you can use what you do best, whether it's coding or, or programming or working with programmers, really solve that problem because you understand it. And uh, to this day, that's that's kind of been how I, if I was going to do this again, um, you know, that's, that's exactly what I would do is, is go after my own problem and, and, uh, figure out a software solution for it and, you know, have another crack at it. All right. And in terms of actually making a company that's sellable at the end of the day, especially because you, know, you had a software company, right. which, you know, it can be difficult, uh, to sell depending how, how automated the whole business is, you know, what, what's the key there? I, I would think it's it's about aligning yourself with partners. So you're, you're going to try and find people that you can align um, your business with that uh, someone else, another business sees as uh, either an asset or a threat. And it, it kind of depends on which way you want to go at. You know, if, if you're going the asset model, you want to make yourself such a big asset that they really can't live without you. Um, and if you want to go the threat model, you, you want to become such a threat to them that they're so scared that they're going to buy you. And that's, that's a lot harder to do. Um, the asset model is really what I, I think we went after was kind of aligning ourselves um, uh, with parallels. And, and um, I, I guess there was a little threat in there, but it was really just a matter of being able to provision to everybody they were acquiring. So we became a pretty good asset. Um, and that's, that would be my advice is, you know, scratch your own itch. You, you hear that a lot, but it's so true in the software world. You know, solve your problems because you're going to know your problems better than anybody else. And then as you do that, think about who in the industry you can align yourself with um, and, you know, uh, try to become an asset to that particular company or, or group of companies um, so that you get on their radar. 
um, and, and and just be fierce. Keep <laughs> don't give up. Don't give up. <laughs> yeah, you don't sound too fierce, Michael. But <laughs> I'm sure it was different when you're running the business. <laughs> Coding wise, yes. You know, I'm talking now. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much for that wrap up. Uh, I guess for anyone who want to check out what you're doing nowadays, is there a website we can direct people to? Um, right now, I've got. Um, uh, my michaelfountain.com site is just a site I put up there to put some uh, portfolio stuff up there and uh, really got php.com uh, which is gotphp.com uh, is a site where I'm just putting up some tutorials right now as a developer as I'm getting back into the code myself and and uh, working with a new platform and uh, just kind of sharing what I'm doing um, and then uh, the new software product is uh, niche.ly n-i-c-h-e.ly and uh, I hope to have that software product out in the next month or so. All right. Awesome. be interesting to see what you get up to next since you're starting a completely new venture. Yes. Thank you for taking the time to do that, Michael. Uh, I'm sure everyone got something from that. That was an interesting story, and, and it was an exciting time. You know, it's a, a long, long business growth cycle there, so it was really interesting to hear what you went through, especially as the Internet grew at the same time. So thank right. you for sharing that, and I uh, wish you good luck. Thank you, Yara, for your time. I appreciate it. And for anyone listening, if you're interested in catching more podcast interviews with uh, successful entrepreneurs, bloggers, and internet marketers uh, like Michael, you can head to my blog, which, has, which is at entrepreneurs-journey.com, or you can Google my name, Yaro, Y-A-R-O, and you will find lots more just like this. So thank you for listening, and we'll catch you in another podcast very soon.